Hello, wise babies. Welcome back to Sophomore Citizens. Hey, everyone. Liesl, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Today is officially a beautiful, stunning Asai Friday, which is a tradition that Gigi and I sort of started much t- more towards the beginning of quarantine, where every single Friday we would treat ourselves by ordering a contact-free delivery of Asai for lunch to our house. And it became such a natural progression into a tradition. Like, it didn't really start out as something that we decided to do. It just, like, maybe three or four Fridays in a row, we just so happened to get a sigh. And then once we noticed this pattern, we gave it a name, which is, of course, a sigh Friday. Or, if you're feeling fun and flirtatious, a Zai Friday. Now that our work schedule and life has really just gotten in the way and quarantine is less pure than it was before we have had to transition into having a side friday not always happen on fridays so today is not a friday but it wasn't a side friday and it was a beautiful one my acai bowl was perfect it was the perfect amount of melty and crunchy um recently we've been having some granola problems where they're out of our favorite granola and today you know i told her almond french vanilla and she did not blink twice she got it she was like yes she made my bowl so beautifully so i am riding that high I also think it's important to mention that Aside Friday is a state of mind. Totally. It is about a freedom of the weekend and a freedom from responsibility, but even more so, it's about a sense of accomplishment that comes with everything that you've taken care of in the last week or in the last few days, few hours, however long it has been and you appreciate yourself, you're grateful for the work that you've done, and you're grateful for the treat that you get. The Asai Friday and the beautiful, as I said, state of mind that comes with it. Yeah, and and the ideal Asai Friday involves a workout of some capacity, yeah. then the procurement of the Asai, then bringing it outside and the beautiful sun is shining and you get to eat your Asai bowl and know that the weekend bliss is, is shining ahead. And... As you mentioned, Liesl, in the ideal world, a Sci Friday is preceded by a workout. Lucky for me, I got to see that through this morning. Yes, you did. I went, I went on a quick run, which I hadn't done maybe in like a week or so at this point. And I won't lie, it was very difficult, especially with the beating sun. I don't know if that made any sense, the like, you know powerful sun <laughs> beating down <laughs> on me. That's what I think I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, just really harshed my vibe for sure Mm -hmm. but again I felt accomplished and I felt proud of myself for even just getting out there and doing it so that in and of itself was a victory for today which I got to reward myself the beautiful experience of Asai Friday. I feel honored to have participated in Asai Friday today and I'm feeling all the power that Asai Friday, Asai Friday, Asai Friday (laughs) has to offer. We we forgot to mention that sometimes (laughs) we will chant Asai Friday over and over. This chant can happen at any point in the week. We've definitely done it on Monday in preparation for Friday's Asai Friday. Exactly. And we'll like plan our future Asai Fridays at like the beginning of the week will be like is it you know are we going to be able to get it in on Friday or do we need to do it Saturday like what will be the most ideal day and I think like part of the reason that Asai Friday naturally came about was because Liesl would say to me midweek like okay let's get Asai like I'm really feeling that today and I'd be like Liesl no we have to it's save it. better for me if I can build up excitement for it and complete everything that I need to do schoolwork responsibilities wise and then I get to have my beautiful experience. And so, like with a lot of things, I like to have a few days to get excited about it. Like, if you just give it to me right now in this moment, it's not as exciting. Right, but Whereas when you build the anticipation. When you build the anticipation, it just feels that much more sweet. The, t- the sigh tastes that much more sweet. Yeah. Of course. And we are also aware that the proper pronunciation of this word is like acai or something along those lines. However, we have always refused to... Um, um, put that many syllables into that word. Yeah, like, maybe I'll give it an acai. Yeah, know? like a subtle little, like, acai, but, like, not acai. Like, that's just not what I, I, I say. I think I say acai. 
What? I want an acai bowl. Yeah, no, Lily actually would say that, but when she but said, but now, but you say you don't you don't say acai Friday. I would, acai never, Friday. I would never disrespect <laughs> acai Friday like that. Like I give her the respect she deserves by being. But acai you say Friday. acai. But if I wasn't with you two and I was like with my family, like oh let's go get acai bowls today. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. Wow, I hear okay. that for Lily. That's, that's definitely different. All right, for today's beautiful, stunning, vivacious episode, we are going to be talking about all things parents, parenting, all of the sort. Childing. Childing, yes. None of us are actually parents, which I know may come as a shocker to some of you, but we all do have parents and opinions on those. So, Liesl, will you kick us off with our first parenting-related topic, please? I would love to. Um, I want to start off by saying that in college, I studied psychology and also child and adolescent mental health. And so that was something that I really focused on in my undergraduate career and also in our job. We've all spent time working with kids. So on that level, I feel like we do have a little bit more experience working with kids and being around kids than other non-parents our age, maybe. Like, I know that I have friends and people around our age group who are, like, afraid of kids and don't like interacting with kids, and I think it's good to position ourselves as people who really enjoy children and talking to kids and being around them. But in my undergraduate career, I took one class called The Art and Science of Parenting. Now, this title is... Art and Science. This title is very um, pivotal for what the class is, because the professor's, like, number one thing that he wanted us to get an understanding of was the fact that parenting is a science but it is also an art form because in his like philosophy there's obviously a lot of books about parenting there's a lot of studies there's a lot of research about the best practices and things to do for parenting right and so that's all kind of very scientific and obviously there's genetics that goes behind parenting and lots of different factors that are more scientific but at the same time there's so much creativity and like artistic expression you could call it that has to go into parenting because there's going to be a million and one things that come up that you don't expect so in that way I really liked the title and like ethos of the class in general but overall what I learned from this class was that like you just really we we just don't know that much about parenting and like we really as humans I think a lot of people think like if you read the right books and go to parenting classes like you will yield the right result, which is like a good kid. But like kids just become their own thing. And there's so many other factors like genetics and the people that they hang out with at school and how they perform in school and like so many other things that have nothing to do with your parents. And so it is actually a lot more complicated than I used to think. Like I feel like when I was a kid and like early teenager, like I thought your parents made you 100%, you know, like that that was just it. Like how your parents raise you is just like, how you are like what do you guys remember thinking about parenthood when you guys were like a little younger I think that I thought that it was something you grow to learn because when I was younger obviously I was not ready to be a parent and I knew that like that was a thing that happened when you got older and I assumed that the reason it happened in 30 years from when I was thinking about it or whatever was because it was something I would learn over time and now being somewhere in between the age of that young and a parent, I realized that it's not like a skill I'm going to pick up or in most cases a class I'm going to take, but that it's just like a maturity that you develop in order to have kids, but that doesn't mean that you have the tools to parent. Right. Like, and I, I feel like parents love to say, there's no handbook, which is like, you know, so corny and cheesy, but it's true. Like, there really is no, like, universal guide on how to do it and, like, how to treat your kids. But I think growing up, I thought that, like, oh, I would learn it over time and that's why I'm not ready to have kids yet. Like, that's <laughs> what's like separating me from my parents is, like, one day I'll learn that and then I'll be able to have kids. But that's obviously not the case. Yeah. Lily, I would say I, I held similar beliefs as a child. Like, I remember being very curious about parenting and, like, how it all works and even like a couple weeks ago I remember asking my mom like if you were given a baby right now or like if she had one naturally somehow by some miracle like 
could you raise it and like do you remember everything that you need to know about like taking care of an infant child because obviously it has been many many years since she was responsible for two infants and like I just don't know similar to what you're saying like are these skills because like I do I do think that there is some element of skills like I don't know like how to swaddle a baby in a blanket properly and like wrap it up like the burrito it's supposed to be you know what I mean and I feel like those are things those technical things like you do learn in your in your mommy and me and your whatever else classes that you take but I think that like I now understand as you're saying Lily it's a matter of maturity and just like understanding people and how to help them through situations how to make them feel like they are their own being and that they get to choose what their life looks like that they believe in themselves that they feel supported and like I feel that my biggest fears about parenting come from infancy and toddlerhood Mm. way more than like once my kid is like five we're just gonna be kicking back like having the best time ever like I'm ready to just have so much fun and like help my kids grow into whoever they want to be but it's a matter of getting them to that point that I personally still have a lot of questions about yeah And I think that another thing that comes up in a lot of psychology and especially child psychology classes um, is this concept about the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Are you guys kind of familiar with this? Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. Um, So like a growth mindset is a kid who believes that intelligence is grown over time and it's a skill that is earned over time. Whereas a fixed mindset is someone who believes that, you know, people are born naturally smart or naturally not. And that there isn't really that much that you can do about it. And when I learned about this concept and how much it's been shown in studies to, like, really impact kids, especially with the language that parents use. So when parents say, you are so smart, you're the smartest kid, like, you're so great, that creates a fixed mindset. Like, they believe that people are smart or not smart. With a growth mindset, when you say, like, you did so good on that project, like, you really, like, learned how to do that. You've grown so much. Like, you've learned so much this year. That kind of encouragement that that, like, helps them have a mindset where they feel like people can grow into their intelligence. And that is one thing that, like, my parents were great parents. Like, I I think they did an amazing job. I'm incredible. So, clearly, the um, proof is in the pudding. Mm-hmm. But the proof is in the pod. The proof is in the pod. And, but one thing that they definitely did was all the time. Liesl, you're so smart. Liesl, you're the smartest. Liesl, you're amazing. Liesl, you're the best. Like, that was the type of language that was used. And I I really, like, have noticed that when I was a kid and early teenager, that's how I thought about the world. I thought people are smart or they're dumb. Totally. And, like, you can't fix it or change it. And I even feel like I remember having the realization at one point or asking mom, like, do you think that the people who are successful or smart in life were born that way or because they were able to get to that place and to be honest I don't really remember what her answer was but I can agree Liesl that I remember you know at least through elementary school feeling like I was smart and I could do well in school because biologically or like by nature I was smart yeah yeah so that's something that I know that I really want to like impart on my kids Lily do you remember like how your parents talked to you about that kind of thing I don't remember specifics of them being like, oh, you're so smart or versus like you did so well on that project. But I definitely do think that I had the idea that there was the smarts and the not smarts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was a divide. I also think like this isn't just to blame our parents, but I think that at that time in school, that's also how a lot of teachers viewed kids and treated kids. Like it was very much like, oh yeah, Lily. Oh yeah, Lily, she's a good one. And like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. He's not so great. You know, like, I, I can remember in elementary school, like, hearing teachers talk about other kids that way. And kids talking and about kids other kids talking about other way. kids that way, 100%. Like, you know, the report card comes out and everyone's comparing and talking about their one, two, three, and fours, which is what we got in elementary school, which I still think is so weird. Anyway, um, I just think that's, that's such an easy thing to do as a parent. And, like, having worked with kids in the past, I have noticed such an improvement in kids when 
we do like remember to use that kind of language of obviously positive reinforcement like crazy and really like praising them for all of their great behavior but not making it about their central identity but making it about good job on this and I really think that that makes a big impact on kids. Another interesting thing that I learned in my parenting class was about four different parenting styles. So I want to run these by you girls and see kind of what you think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the first parenting style is authoritarian, which is a type of parent where control was obtained through power without explanation. F that. (laughs) So authoritarian parents um, oftentimes have kids who are well-behaved, but they feel suppressed and they don't feel like they can go to their parents for much. Um, because they've just, like, used their power and authority and control without giving, like, a proper explanation for why they've done certain stuff. And I honestly feel like every single parent has been authoritarian at one point or another. Like, every parent has had to pull the card of, because I'm your parent, you know, because I birthed you, was a common sentiment from our mom. The next type of parent parenting is authoritative which is control was obtained through reasoning with a balance of warm contact and firm responses to violations so this is still strict parenting but there are explanations given and there is like a clear logic between actions and consequences um i feel like this is clearly a good way of parenting and it typically does have like really good results um the next type of parent is permissive which is that control was not requested and deviations from expectations and rules were not responded to with negative consequences. So these kids were less creative, they didn't get along well with others, and they didn't really have a sense of control or balance in their life. So like these are kind of like parents who don't really create a lot of structure, who kind of just like let whatever happen and they don't create clear consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we probably have all known parents who kind of fit that mold as well. And then the last type of parent is like a neglectful parent. So someone who's not giving warmth and not giving control or structure at all, which is obviously very sad and can have really, really harmful consequences. One of the biggest things that I feel like I learned in my parenting class was that towards the positive end of the spectrum there's not that much you can do to control your kid like becoming amazing like becoming an Einstein or whatever but there is a lot that you can control on the negative end and like just by giving kids love support and like a strong base to grow makes a world of difference in their in their outcome do you guys think that these like four categories kind of make sense with parents that you've encountered I think it definitely makes sense and I also think that it's hard to categorize parents in just one I think that a lot are maybe a combination of a few of them or in some areas they really resemble one but then in another area maybe they really resemble another and I'm sure there are plenty of parents that really fit one category but at least when I think of my own parents I can see parts where they could fall into each one of those yeah To be honest, I feel like I'm still a little bit confused about permissive. So they are like warm with their children, but don't really like set any structure or boundaries for their kids. Yeah. So like, I I just don't really understand. Like I personally, I'm struggling to think of like someone who I have seen that with or witnessed that. Like, I feel like all parents are looking for some kind of like, control over a situation and like I can't really imagine there being a situation where a kid is like doing something they're not supposed to and their parent is just like oh whatever well I think like the stereotype is like a kind of a spoiled brat um so like parents who their kid throws a tantrum and there's no consequences and it's like they throw a tantrum and so they just give them chocolate or something okay 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 this is this is making a lot more sense to me now I also think like for some reason, the counting down comes to mind when we bring these mm-hmm. up. Like, three, two, <laughs> two and a half. Yes. yes. Like, One. <laughs> I have seen that type of parenting time and time again. Of the- I feel like the counting down, we've seen it time and time again. And a lot of the time, I think it's parents who have already lost control. Yeah. They've already lost the battle. And they've lost 
credibility with their kids yeah. because maybe they've counted down one too many times and haven't followed through yeah. on whatever consequence is supposed to come. Exactly. And I think that like that to me is the biggest takeaway from these um four categories or these four styles yeah. is like it's a matter of setting up structure and like an author uh, author uh, not authoritarian or authoritative. authoritative I know but like you want to be the authority figure yeah but it's important that like you just follow through on the stuff that you are setting up for your kids and you give them some explanation like I really um you know align with that parenting style personally yeah, totally and, and especially like, especially in our experience with working with kids over the summer yeah it's like I have seen it time and time again where teachers or teen volunteers or whoever lose control of their kids and then don't follow through on certain expectations and the whole thing falls out from underneath them yeah and you have to establish from the beginning structure you know and logical consequences is also a big thing Um, and like, I've seen so many parents say something like, if you don't do X, like you can't go to your dance recital tomorrow or something that they would never actually follow through Mm -hmm. on. And that is such a huge problem. Like you have to, when you're giving an if then like a consequence, it has to be something you can actually follow through on because otherwise your kid thinks you're a joke. Like your kid is not going to respect you or do what you say. I also, I understand that, like, especially as a young person, and I have no personal experience with parenting, it's super easy for me to say stuff like this, but, like, I could see a world where I'm speaking to my young child, obviously in a way that makes sense to them, but explaining, like, you know, okay, let's go back to if you don't do your homework, you don't get to go to your dance recital. I would say to my child, like, it's important that you do your homework and that you become comfortable with a routine of taking care of the things that need to be taken care of before we can have fun. Like, to me, that makes complete sense, and a kid would absorb that and, 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 like, apply it to their lives down the road. Yeah, and I think that it's also, like, it's just as easy to give something as it is to take something away. And, like, I feel like a lot of parents get into the mindset of, like, taking things away. But, you know, if your kid is, if a kid is misbehaving and you need to talk to them, you know, it's great to say, like, if you can show me, you know, good behavior or appropriate behavior for the next hour, you know, you get a treat or you get uh, something good as opposed to saying, like, right now in this moment, if you can't follow what I'm saying, this is getting taken away. And I also do think, like, with all of us having had experience in teachery type roles where we've had classrooms of, you know, 10 to 15 kids that we are like having to monitor, like that really has given me a lot more confidence as well. Like the fact that I feel like I can juggle multiple kids at a time, like makes me feel like when I am the parent of one or two kids that like I I can handle it, you know? The biggest thing that comes to mind when you say that is just the concept of not having an off button. So, mm. w- like, with our jobs, we deal with the kids for seven hours of the day and then they go home. And, like, yes, I will have less than ten kids when I'm older. <laughs> but, like, having them 24-7 is insane to me that there's no like okay now you're getting on the bus and going home and I'm not gonna deal with you for the next few hours that's a great point no, so yeah but my I, kids are gonna watch lots of tv oh, and like have like lots of video of games lots of all screens oh I'm, we're not even gonna have walls we're just gonna have screens <laughs> okay so you just put them in front of I the just tv put them, here's the ipad honey perfect <laughs> okay so mommy's gonna go take a bath here's, here's the virtual reality yeah, here's the here's your VR headset. Yeah, by See the you time, in three hours. By the time we're having kids, there'll probably be lots of new screen creation too, <laughs> so you can uh, throw a few of those around. Yeah. All right, my topic relating to parenting for this week is those parent-child relationships that are more like best friendships than they are parent-childy, and in my opinion, they're weird. They honestly make me uncomfortable. And I just wanted to give you some examples, talk to you guys about it, see if you agree. The best example that I can think of with this is Kris Jenner's relationship with her daughters. Now, I know that they are a family who 
is very public because they obviously have Keeping Up with the Kardashians, so maybe we're getting kind of an skewed view of their life so I'm gonna give them just that disclaimer that it might not be the most representative um situation of their relationship but outwardly talking about your child's sex life your sex life things like that I understand that you can be very close with your parents but in my opinion that's a little too close it makes me feel a little weird what do you girls think Well, I also think it's important to mention that you had mentioned a naked photo shoot with Chris. Yeah, Coordinated by by Kim. And I know I have seen naked photo shoot for Kim coordinated by Chris. Yeah. Weird. So when Chris was Kim's manager long ago, this is like season one or two of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, Kim had her Playboy photo shoot, which wasn't completely nude, but it was very suggestive, very almost nude, let's say. And Chris was there cheering her on. Kim <laughs> yeah, was cheering un- her on yes. is, is very accurate. Yes. Kim was uncomfortable, you know, the more and more clothes she had to take off, and Chris seemed to be like, do it, honey, go! <laughs> like, almost the pageant mom vibe. Yeah. I'm just like, ugh, like, you only get if you're lucky, two parents in the world. You can have as many friends as you want. And for me, I think it comes down to, like, a kid needs parents. Like, they can have friends in other ways, but, like, if their parents can't be that for them, then, like, they're most likely not going to get that anywhere else. And I feel like, as we just talked about with the child, adolescence, art, and science, whatever, like, you need that to grow up and... To develop, and so when the relationship is not that, it can get a little weird. Totally. Um, I think I have a couple things to contribute. Um, like, first off, I just think with the Kardashians, especially now, being, like, full-grown adult women, um, who have their own kids, like, I really do think that I can understand how the dynamic probably shifts a lot, And I think it it does become different. So I get on some level how their relationship has turned into more of a friendship and less of, like, a parenthood relationship because they're, like, full-blown adults. Like, they can handle themselves. And I kind of feel like with Gigi and I, that's a little bit where we're at with our dad um, because, you know, our parents got divorced, our dad wasn't living with us, like, throughout high school and college time. So, like, the way that we spend time with our dad has to be a little bit more intentional. Like, you know, we do brunch, we go get our nails done, we go to dinner, we go over to his house and watch movies. Like, it's literally, like, what you would do with your friends. And I think that, like, for our dad, like, he's had this, you know, renewed bachelorhood a little bit. And, like, even when he's in relationships and stuff, like, he still just has a very youthful mindset And even, like, when my friends have interacted with my dad, they're, like, he feels like one of us. Like, the way he talks, the the kind of questions he asks, like, his personality. Like, he's just, like, here to have a good time most of the time. So we don't really have, like, that traditional parenting relationship as much anymore. But what I will say is every once in a while, I think, like, the tendency in our dad to parent will, like, randomly come out hard and he'll like just like suddenly out of nowhere want to like be controlling things in our lives and telling us how to spend our money telling us you know like what to do or even this is a prime example we'll be out to brunch or dinner or something Liesl and I are like oh should we share some fries our dad will be like no fries no fries like micromanaging us well, I'm fries. 23 I'm 23, and because he's trying he, to tell me what to eat. He thinks that it's him being a good parent of looking out for our health. Yeah. Fries are healthy. They're potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lily. And I'm like, glad you agree. He also just has, like, a really funny view of health. Like, you know, we'll bring, like, dinner over to his house sometimes from, like, one of our favorite places ever, Mendocino Farms. Shout out. Could you please sponsor us? We would love that. <gasps> we um, love you. We love you, Mendocino Farms. Um, We'll bring that over to his house, and, like... If I got, like, a turkey sandwich, for example, he'll be like, oh, what did you get? And, like, look look at it. And I'll be like, oh, like, a turkey sandwich. And he'll be like, okay, like, healthy. Healthy. Cool. 
And I'm like, what is so healthy about it? Like, it's a turkey sandwich. Like, it's not unhealthy, but it's also not, like, the healthiest thing ever. And, like, he just has really strange ideas about, like, health and wellness. And now we're getting down a whole now other rabbit hole. Now we're getting a whole other rabbit hole. <laughs> but he did recently do a juice cleanse, which yeah. we literally told him time and time again is not benefiting him in any way, shape, or form. And then he tries to tell us it's for his mental discipline. <laughs> yes, he does This say is that. the kind of crazy that we're dealing with. Yeah. I would also say, like, personally, especially right now, like, I haven't been drinking very much. And so, like, you know, I enjoy having dessert, let's just say. Yeah. And our dad maybe enjoys having wine a little bit more, but he doesn't really see them as the same when, in reality, like, health-wise, like you know, a slice of chocolate cake or, like, some ice cream is honestly, like, just as unhealthy as, like, a couple glasses of wine. Like, really, neither of them are that good for you, and neither of them are that bad. Like, you should enjoy what you want to enjoy. But he loves to yuck my yum and tell me no dessert while he's on his fifth gin and tonic. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's bring it back. Yes, let's bring it back. Back to parent-child relationships. Yes, so... Our dad and us have a funny relationship in that we are kind of friends. And Lily, you've spent time with our dad. You can uh, you can verify that he is a little bit um, youthful and friendly. And I honestly love his youthful and friendly energy. And yeah. I can definitely see what you're saying. And obviously you know way better than me. But I think that the friend-parent relationships that I'm talking about are the ones that are just like too much and a little too weird which obviously if that's how you feel about your dad I'm not here to discredit but from my perspective I don't see you guys having that relationship with your dad. I feel like what you're referring to Lily is more a pattern between mother and daughter where mother is hanging on to every last shred of being like a young woman cool. It's like the mom and mean girls. Exactly. There we go. Or like There are people that I can recall from our personal lives where it's just weird when, like, they'll post photos on Instagram or, like, do whatever together and, like, wear matching outfits, basically. It's a little weird. Gigi, you hit the nail on the head. And you're absolutely right that that's what it is. We got the Kris Jenner, Kim Kardashian thing going, and it's just a little too much for me. And, like, I don't think that it creates a healthy relationship then with your friends even and like the boundaries being blurred I think can get a little weird definitely and I think that also with our dad like he was very much a dad and like very authoritative very structured rules oriented totally type a kind of dad for the majority of our childhood and so we we got all of that and he still can be that way sometimes but like in general, he really has, like, loosened up and allowed for a lot more friendship, and I think that has brought us even closer, um, which is really nice. Another example of this in kind of pop culture, I feel, is the show Gilmore Girls, which personally I really love. I know you girls don't really watch it, um, but it is the story of a mother and daughter. The mom was a teen um, parent, so she got pregnant when I think she was, like, 15, So there's only a 15-year age difference between her and her daughter. So she's 30 and her daughter is 15. So they really have more of, like, a best friend relationship. And then on top of that, like, the mom's personality, she was, like, a teen mom. You know, she was a bit of a rebel. She was, like, a little goofy and out there and fun and disorganized and, like, a little wild. And her daughter ends up being very you know, disciplined, like, really into school, very organized, and very, like, sweet and kind, um, and so I think that, like, that's part of, like, the fun of the show, is that it feels like a little bit of this role reversal, where, like, the daughter is, like, the together one, and the mom is a little bit more of, like, the free spirit, and that obviously just, like, leads to comedy, and, you know, like, loving, a loving relationship, and, like, they really are best friends on the show, and I think it's very sweet, so that's, like, another example where I think that's a really nice cute example of a mother and daughter being best friends but I have never seen that type of dynamic actually play out in real life and I just don't think it would actually be that possible. I also want to say that I don't think there's anything wrong with friendship being a component of your let's say mother-daughter relationship because 
I am someone who definitely has a friendship with my mom, with both my parents, but let's just say my mom, since we're kind of focusing on mother-daughter relationships, and that I think some people see the relationship I have with my mom as a best friendship, but I can certainly identify the components of our relationship that are strictly parental, and then we have those friendship moments, which I think is great, just like you you guys were saying with your dad, like, it was parenting for a while, and then now it's some combination of the two, and I think that's great, but then when it's only right this other thing is where it's different or or when the dynamic is dominated by the friendship dynamic more so than the child parent exactly yeah okay Gigi, tell us about your topic for this week so i thought uh along the line of parenting it would be interesting for us to discuss our thoughts on alcohol entering the party Is this something that you guys feel like parents should do with their kids to sort of, like, get them acclimated to the drunk experience? Do you feel like they should have strict boundaries on it? How do you guys feel about it? Considering there are very different approaches to this process across the board. Um, I personally, uh have oftentimes heard um about parents or kids who say that like they started drinking with their parents and that you know at a certain age their parent would like give them a glass of wine with dinner just so they could like start to feel it out and personally I think that's bogus weird and ridiculous um I just think that's strange I don't think that that like teaches anyone how to drink because if I give my kid a glass of wine at dinner and then, like, the next day they're going out to a party, like, they're they're not going to know their limits from me giving them one glass of wine. That's really not, like, putting the training wheels on, you know? And I also just feel like with drinking, like, I think that the way that, like, parents model drinking for their kids is probably one of, like, the biggest contributors to their kids' relationship with alcohol at the end of the day. Like, if, you know, your parents are drinking a lot and you're seeing that a lot, you're going to kind of think that that's cool, you know? And if your parents are, you know, just treat themselves every once in a while and kind of have a healthy relationship with alcohol, whatever that looks like for them, I feel like you as a kid are more likely to internalize that and understand that. What I do think is super important is parents telling their kids, especially when they're in high school, if you are anywhere at any time of night, like, I will get in my car and come pick you up. Do not drive if you have consumed anything. Like, it is an all-or-nothing thing. Like, don't have a beer and then two hours later drive home from a party when you're in high school. Like, I just think that sets a really dangerous precedent. And and being that type of parent that's willing to go pick your kid up if they do get too drunk and they do end up in a bad situation, like, that is going to prevent them from feeling like they can't talk to you and feeling like they can't go to you if they do get into a really bad situation like I think that is so much more important than like letting your kid drink wine with you at dinner like I just think that's kind of weird the insight that I have to add is only based off of how I've been raised because obviously that's all that I know and I'm not here to say the right or wrong way to integrate alcohol into the conversation But I do think that I have a healthy relationship with alcohol, so, like, I guess the way my parents did it was good enough. But I grew up, like, seeing it. Like, my parents would drink around me. Nothing crazy, like, getting plastered. But, like, (laughs) my dad would have a beer with dinner. Or, like, if we were out, my parents would order a glass of wine or drinks or whatever. But it was never something that was like, no, you cannot drink. And I think that can breed some unhealthy behaviors like especially I remember when I went to college like kids that were like I've never had a sip of alcohol ever and then night one like passed out hospitalized problematic because it was like zero to a hundred real quick but then the parents are like drink 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 then it's like oh that's some alcoholic territory so I think the perfect balance which again I'm only speaking from my own experience and that's all that I know to be true is somewhere in the middle where it's normalized but it's not like an integral part of the relationship of your or your life or anything right 
And I feel like, Liesl, going off of what you had to say, I think that parents, regardless of how they choose to, you know, either talk about alcohol, endorse alcohol, discourage alcohol, there needs to be a very clear understanding that if anyone or like any friends, anyone is in a bad situation caused by drinking, like if someone were to have alcohol poisoning or whatever the issue is that like you are there to help, there is no like, you know, it's not like you're going to get in trouble on the spot. It's more like we need to deal with this issue and make sure that safety is the top priority because otherwise, like you're saying, kids find themselves in all kinds of different situations and if they don't feel comfortable to like look for the help of their parents, that's a big problem. Yeah. And something that we've like talked about before is the relationship between getting your license and starting driving and starting drinking. Um, like Gigi and I have talked about this before. Um, because to me and like my experience and I know Gigi's experience as well and probably Lily's, like we've all been designated drivers at at one point or another. We've all been that friend that like was gonna go to the party and not drink for whatever reason and then probably drive home. And I think that having that experience and having that experience repeatedly in high school of going to a party and a social event and other people are drinking and staying sober is such a good experience for young people to have because I think it can show you a lot of the problematic behaviors that go down without your like drunk goggles on and it can also just show you like that you that you have to learn how to have fun with or without alcohol. And I think that, like, the people who have the best relationship with alcohol can take it or leave it. Like, it's not necessary to have a good night. But it's it's a nice bonus. Like, it makes things more fun sometimes. But it's not needed. So, like, I know that one thing that I would really try to encourage in my kids is for them to be the designated driver every once in a while. Go to parties and and stay sober. And experience what that feels like. Because I think that that can really set a kid up for success. Totally. And I know, Gigi, you've said before that you feel like getting your license, like, and and having the responsibility of driving, you know, teaches you a certain amount of responsibility. Well, the context that I was thinking of it, specifically a few weeks ago, was like, I got my license and then it was a couple years later that I started um, regularly drinking. And so there was never a period of time where I could just drink completely un you know untethered to responsibility of getting myself somewhere or home or whatever and I think maybe also having my experience abroad where like I was taking public transportation or I was walking like I never got into a car I was never driving a car while I was abroad and obviously the abroad experience includes a lot of drinking and I feel like the combination of that experience plus some other things that had happened just signaled to me like I can't imagine what it would be like to be a kid who's constantly drinking but like having their parent pick them up uber them home whatever it is without ever having to consider driving how am I gonna get home how am I gonna get home or like what is the like there's just no thought of oh I could drive a car Right. And I'm not saying that, like, I feel like that sounds like I'm saying when I'm drinking, I'm like, oh, I could drive a car. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I just mean, like, driving a car is a thing that I do, and drinking, it's, I just can't imagine, like, then after having started drinking regularly, getting your license, and trying to, like, understand that you can't, those two things can't mix. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense because that would be a complicated dynamic. And I also think that, like, you don't start drinking at, I and mean, maybe you do, but I, at least I didn't start drinking at, like, age 14. So, like, had two years of drinking under my belt and I was like, okay, now I need to figure out how I'm gonna get home. I think that it's also important to point out to your kids that alcohol does actually have an effect on their development of their brain. And I think that, like, that is such a logical explanation to give to a young teen about why alcohol isn't for them yet. And I think that that's something that, like, for me, I learned in school a lot, but that wasn't necessarily something that my parents, like, emphasized. Like, 
that was something they didn't really talk about. But I feel like it is important to, to like, let your, you know, young kids know, like, you know, alcohol is for adults because our brains are done growing and it's okay for us to drink it. It's not harmful. But if you were to drink alcohol, like, it would hurt your brain and you wouldn't be able to think the way that you should and you wouldn't be smart, you wouldn't, whatever. Like, and I think that that's, like, something that I think some parents don't drive home enough in kids and then that's what leads to some kids starting to drink in, like, middle school or really really early high school and I also think that like it can become such a huge problem of when kids like start stealing alcohol from their parents and like are just so curious about it because they haven't been educated about it and they just want to try and I think that that's what gets like a lot of kids started too young um on another note what do you guys think about the way that you would talk to your kids about other substances like marijuana you know which is becoming more and more legal across the United States like how do you guys think you would approach that I have a hard time considering this because I as a teenager had like no desire to drink alcohol to do drugs (laughs) to try different things like I was just very straight edge well not only straight edge but like very obedient and rule following so I I was like if I'm not allowed to do it like I'm not gonna do it and that wasn't even something that was like imposed on me by my parents necessarily like Liesl was drinking in high school and like our parents knew about it to a certain extent and like they weren't necessarily happy about it but they were fine with it yeah and even through most of high school I was like if I'm not supposed to be doing it I'm not doing it so it's like I have a hard time tapping into the mindset of a teenager who like wants to try drugs or like wants to drink alcohol and how I would go about that. Yeah. But I guess like I think when it comes to other drugs, I would want to again emphasize to my children that being safe with these substances is of the utmost importance. Because there are drugs that can have other unwanted substances in them or, like, things can go wrong. Very wrong. Very, very wrong. Very quickly. Yeah. And I think that I would try and help my kids to see that, like, trying drugs or experimenting is a decision that they are welcome to make once they are 17, 18, 19, off to college, whatever. Yeah. But that the environment that they're in, the people that they're with... The, the intentions behind doing these drugs need to be pure. Yeah. Because otherwise, I don't support it. It cannot be an escape. It can be a, like, self-discovery experience. I understand there are other aspects to it, and I understand there's just a general curiosity around it. Yeah. That, like, sometimes needs to be quenched, and I get that. Yeah. But I feel like I would try and emphasize to my kids, these are variables. you need to be careful around yeah I agree with you completely I think that I would take the stance on it similarly to what I was saying about alcohol a few moments ago of normalizing it because I think that when it is this crazy thing that you want to experiment with and then you get into kind of what we were saying of like stealing alcohol and obviously you're not going to steal drugs I mean I guess maybe you are but like when it's not a normalized thing that is where I see, I've seen the most problems. So just having it be a topic of conversation and something we have discussed, I think is how I would approach it with my kids one day of discussing it and talking about, you know, different types of drugs, whatever. Similarly to Gigi having not really um, tried drugs, but that would be my stance on it. I also want to take this opportunity to mention that in elementary school, I still have a vivid memory of, like, them reading us a book, which maybe elementary school seems a little young, but, like, maybe fifth grade or something. They read a book to us about a caterpillar that, like, snuck onto some property and, like, (laughs) ate some leaves, ate some marijuana leaves that they weren't supposed to eat. (laughs) And that they never got to turn into a beautiful butterfly because of that. And, like I said, I mean, maybe this wasn't in elementary school, but, like, I'm pretty sure this wasn't elementary school. That sounds pretty elementary. I know, that it was a caterpillar who couldn't turn into a butterfly. Yeah, caterpillars don't really come up 
like from middle school on anybody. That seems like pretty scary. <laughs> okay, well, this is what I wanted to say is that like I was one of those kids that like that worked on. Yeah. Like I was like I can't do that. Like yeah. I want to turn into the most beautiful butterfly that I could possibly be. <laughs> well, similarly, I remember in sixth grade we watched a video about drugs or alcohol or something and it was frightening the most terrifying (laughs) video like to this day i i'm not kidding i have flashbacks to it i remember the song that was playing in the car when my mom picked me up from school that day because i was so distraught after seeing this video and the next year they played it again and i no no Lily, they played another version, and I remember thinking you were being dramatic because it wasn't nearly, like, that scary or horrible the next year, but, and it's important what information. did they? It was no, in no. all middle school. It was, like, you, everyone, like, each grade level went into the auditorium. And you, I don't remember I don't, doing this. I don't remember what it was called, but there was some name of it, and I remember <laughs> also being very scared by it, and them, like, painting this, like, party scene in some like trashy town and like these kids doing like meth (laughs) and heroin and me and Lily 11 aged 11 years being like like scared shitless by this video but but listen I actually forgot what I was going to say. Go ahead, Lily. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it created such an unrealistic idea of drugs, alcohol, all of the sort. Because even my brother, who is much different in type in terms of, like, his take on all of this, like, he thought that after seeing this video that people were going to, like, try to frame him for having drugs. Like, when he went to middle school, a legitimate fear he had was that people were going to put weed in his locker and then he was going to get arrested for it. And he was so scared of the kids he knew that were smoking, like, at a very young age because they were the ones who could, like, pin the drugs on him. Wow. So I feel like this is coming full circle back to as much as parents obviously have a lot of say in the way that their kids grow up, the socialization process, but a lot of it also comes down to your experiences at school. Yeah, totally. And, like, for me, in high school, I feel like weed was still it was obviously like medical marijuana was like approved in California so like that was fine but like recreational smoking weed was not legal and so there was this certain like it just ambiguity about the rules I feel like since it wasn't legal for anyone to smoke marijuana for fun it did there was no age like with alcohol it was like okay 21 is when you're legally allowed to, you know, drink alcohol, but it's, like, socially accepted around 18 plus is pretty socially accepted as, like, cool to drink alcohol. But with weed, since there's no, there was no age at that point, it was kind of like, well, we could just do this whenever. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's no real rules or, or consequences or anything because it was just so vague. And I feel like that's something that I think with my kids it will be so much clearer and easier to tell them and like teach them about marijuana because it will be even more socially accepted than it is now you know and just let them know that that's something that people who are 21 or older can partake in if they want another interesting facet to this whole conversation that we've uncovered is that both of our parents fibbed to us about substances that they had consumed And I'm kind of conflicted about this because obviously, um, you know, lying is never cool um, and is typically not tolerated, but I kind of feel like them lying to us about it was kind of the right thing to do. Like, I feel like if, if they had straight up told me, like, that they had tried, like, all, all drugs, basically. Which they have not tried. No, no, no. But I'm just saying, like, if they told me the drugs that they have tried when I was 15, I would have thought that that was okay then. And, like, I just feel like I personally would have maybe tried more or partaken in more different... Been a little more daring. Been a little bit more daring. um, Because the level of daring that I was was very low, and I think that that's because I also thought that... Like, I genuinely thought my parents had, like, only had alcohol. 
I hated being lied to. Right. It would have had no effect. Well, yeah. I know I can't really say this with complete confidence, but, like, I can say that it would have had no effect over my actions and my safety, and, like, I just wanted to know. I was just curious. Yeah. I just was, like, I I still have such a fascination with drugs. Like, I'm so curious about it. And, like, I just wanted to know. And the fact that it then came out years later, like, oh, yeah, the Grateful (laughs) Dead concert. Oh, crazy times in the 80s. I'm, like... And you had me sitting here this whole time thinking you were uncool. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty funny. I know I've said this a million times, so I don't want to sound like a broken record, but going back to um, the scary video, and just to bring that <laughs> okay. all back full circle, for me, like, my, I don't, I'm not going to say my parents lied to me, but I just, like, don't think that often we were talking about it when mm. I was that young, like, when I was in sixth or seventh grade, we just, like, weren't really talking about drugs because it wasn't on my radar. So then I go in and I watch this video, and I'm (laughs) terrified because it's not something we've discussed. So the reason that I think normalization and all that Mm -hmm. is so important is because had my parents sat me down, which I'm not saying they should have done because, again, it just, like, wasn't really on our radar at that point, and we discussed that, like, they had done some of these drugs, which... I'm assuming my parents have not done that heroin. <laughs> no, <And> don't assume. <laughs> maybe they have. I don't know. I could ask. I'm sure they'd be honest with me at this point. Um, and I understood that it wasn't like Satan. <laughs> like Satan's work. Like I, I come into this video having no knowledge of drugs. <laughs> And you walk out as a young Jewish woman and go, that's Satan's work. (laughs) Like, I see it as the worst thing in the world because it really wasn't normalized for me up until that point. So my comment on parents lying and just to bring this all back together is just that I would have loved for it to have been a conversation so that it wasn't so jarring for me and that I could have understood that, like, drugs and alcohol are dangerous but there's ways to be safe with them and they're not going to kill you in the way that I thought they were. Totally. One other thing about parenting that is slightly related to the drugs and alcohol conversation is that our mom was adamant, militant about PG-13. We were not allowed to watch PG-13 movies until like I probably saw my first PG-13 movie when I was 12, 11, 12, and even then, I'm pretty sure it was Devil Wears Prada, and my mom made me fast forward through a part where she's wearing lingerie. Um, nothing even happens. Nothing she's even happens. wearing, like, <laughs> sweatpants and a lingerie top or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 and she just, like, does, like, a little sexy thing for her little boyfriend. But I do think that, like, setting that boundary and adhering to that rule, um, you know, set up in both Gigi and I this this adherence to the rules that obviously with Gigi like she felt like she didn't want to drink she didn't want to do drugs she didn't want to do anything in high school even and I feel like that's because we were we were taught so much to be rule followers and I do think that like the type of movies that you watch even from a very young age will impact what you think is normal and what you think is okay and I think that like for me you know, obviously PG and G movies don't really feature drugs and alcohol that much. And so I wasn't really even introduced so much to drugs and alcohol in movies and TV until I was like 13 plus. And I feel like that made me like from 13 to, you know, 17 or whatever when I started drinking, like I was able to like create a, a concept of what I thought about drinking and drugs and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, like, just, like, the teenage experience in general. And I wasn't exposed to it at an age that was too young where I, like, would have thought, like, that it was so cool, you know, or that that, that would have maybe been what I was, like, aspiring to because I was just, like, a little kid, you know? Hazel, I could totally see that. Okay, so let's get into our recommendations for this week. Gigi, what do you have to recommend to our wise babies out there? Liesl and I have revived one of our favorite TV shows of all time. We've had to go back into the archives, make a purchase on Amazon to make our dreams come true, but here we are, knee-deep in Bachelor in Paradise season three? Three. 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 And we are just 
eating it up. We love Bachelor in Paradise far more than any other program created by the Bachelor franchise. It is trashier. It is goofier. Goofier. It is funnier. They move a lot faster. There's so much more substance. There's just so much to absorb and we can't get enough of it. Yeah, it's honestly the best. I would highly recommend if you've not seen any seasons, I would say watch the sixth season, which was the most recent one from last summer that Liesl and I started on actually. And we just absolutely fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And I honestly would say Obviously, it does enhance the experience if you have seen the um, Bachelor or Bachelorette But it's really not seasons, necessary. But it's not necessary to enjoy. You can still get just as much enjoyment out of the characters and craziness that ensues on its own. Yeah, totally. I think that, like, Bachelor in Paradise, literally any season, turn it on, and it's, it's a perfect entry point into the Bachelor franchise. Um... The other recommendation that we have for today is a little bit of a different type of recommendation in that it is a style recommendation, and that is to enjoy the fun of matching with other people, with your clothes and your shoes and your accessories, Specifically with parents. Specifically with parents. Our dad somewhat recently um, decided that he really enjoys um, matching with Gigi and I, Um, This started a couple years ago when um, our dad bought us matching bracelets for Christmas, and he said that this was in lieu of us getting matching tattoos, because he thought that the bracelets were special enough to symbolize, you know, our love without without it being a permanent decision. And most recently, our dad bought us all matching black vans with a little white stripe, Um, and so I just highly recommend matching with your parents and showing them that you love them by wearing the same thing as them. Yeah, it's the best way to show people you love them. I've always thought so. Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right, well, with that, I think we are done with Sunday's episode, and we will see you on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Sophomore Citizens, the podcast by young people for young people, with new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. So we'll see you wise babies then. Also, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Sophomore Citizens and make sure to leave a five-star review.